Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 140 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined this week by Miss Mimi Melendez. Mimi, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me again. Hey, it's my pleasure as always, Mimi. Ayaz couldn't be with us this week at all. He's going for a few things outside of the podcast, so all the best to Ayaz. We shall see him, I'm sure, next week. But as for now, we make do with Mimi, the the very good replacement, of course. Mimi has been on a number of times before. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show, though. Let's waste no time. We're going to start last Friday, a card that I attended at York Hall, Bethnal Green, London, United Kingdom, a couple of fights to mention here. Um, firstly, I will start with George Fox. He made his debut. That is, of course, the son of trainer Don Charles. That's the man, of course, who um, has, has been seen in the, in the corner with Derek Chisora probably more than any other fighter many, many times. So Don Charles' son here, George Fox, made his pro debut against a guy called Phil Williams, who was also making his pro debut. As you can imagine, if you look at the size of Don Charles, it's pretty normal to understand that his son is a heavyweight also. His son is, I believe, six foot six. And um, to be honest, I mean, we can't really expect too much of the guy. It was his first pro fight. I'm not quite sure of how how many fights he had as an amateur, um, if any, actually. So I know, of, obviously, he's got his dad training him, which is a brilliant thing. And he just got in there, to be honest, and um, and cruised through the, the four rounds. Um, nothing too special from George Fox just there. Like I say, just easing into the pro ranks. Um, the guy that he fought, actually, was, was quite bad. I mean, I know it was his first pro fight as well, but, yeah... Um, wasn't really impressed with the opponent, but yeah, like I say, a good win there for George Fox. It's important to bank the rounds early in your pro career, and he's got four valuable rounds there. Um, something that I did notice about George is he seemed to have some David Hay-like moves, which is ironic because, of course, this was a David Hay promotions card. And for a big guy standing at six foot six, and he's he's heavy set as well. He moves quite well. He's got decent skills, and like I say, good good for him to bank four rounds there. Moving up the bill once again, I now want to talk about the Cody Davies fight. Now, Cody Davies, this was the first time that I've seen him fight pro. Um, his record 5-0 and now. He picked up a win here, a points win over four rounds against Eric McConzo, who's now 2-8. and eight. Eric McConzo a lot better than his record suggests, and you do have to think, even though Cody Davies didn't get the knockout, he managed to win on points over four. Um, Makonzo gave Willie Hutchinson a real, real, real tough fight a few weeks back. Could be a couple months back now, I can't remember. But yeah, a few months ago, he gave a great, great account against Willie Hutchinson. And the way that Cody Davies um, just dealt with him was quite, quite special. Um, 
Cody Davies has got a real likable style. Not only that, he gets in the ring. He's got, you know, he's fought in a beautiful Mohican, and I just really like the the way the guy kind of relies on his reflexes. He's got great feet in there, and you know, especially the first round. Actually, the first round of all, he really, really looks special in there, and it kind of faded towards, you know, towards the end of the fight. But the first round, he looked, he looked really special. So I'm quite impressed there with Cody Davies. Also. On the bill, we should mention MVP, Mr. Michael Venom Page. He moved to 2-0. It was a KO in the second round. In the other corner, though, Michael Kiach, who's now 1-6. and six. It's not like he was a great opponent, but yeah, he got in there and he lost once again. Only one win under his belt. Um, Michael Venom Page, I mean, a lot of people very critical of him simply for all the showmanship that he shows us each time. It's only his second pro fight, so we do have to remember that. Obviously, he's, um, you know, time's time's kind of getting on with him. I think he's he started the whole boxing thing very late, so time's not on his side. Um, I do want to see him stepped up because he likes to do all this showmanship, like I say, and some of it's quite distasteful. Some of it I think he takes a little bit too far, and a lot of people get frustrated because the guys he's doing all these, you know, all these kind of, I want to say, Mickey-taking moves on, they're all they're all journeymen, you know. He's only fought two guys, and both guys, I think, between them have only got three wins and about 20 losses. So there's nothing too um, too impressive, really, about fighting like that against guys like this. But, yeah, very cocky performance from him. A brutal knockout finish, though, I must say. As soon as the shot landed, I knew that the fight was over sitting there ringside. He really, really connected with that right hand. And to be honest, I can't believe that the guy actually remained conscious. I thought he'd be knocked completely unconscious but it wasn't that so um credit to the guy showed a little bit of toughness there but um michael venom page is a man that i want to see stepped up um quite a lot to be honest from this level here um also on the bill we saw linus udofia now this was an interesting fight it really really was he took on eric nwankwo who who's actually a guy um you wouldn't have seen this mimi but this guy eric nwankwo He's um he, he came over here from Nigeria, I believe it was. I'm gonna have to check that after because I could be doing doing him a huge disservice saying he's from one part of Africa if he's not. But yeah, I'm sure he's from Nigeria. I yeah, I'm I'm sure it definitely is Nigeria. He came over here um to study and he actually I think he was finding it kind of hard financially and he decided to go to a boxing gym and the rest is history he's turned pro and he's kept it a massive secret from his family back in Nigeria I don't even know if they if they know that he's actually a boxer but anyway I think he had one I think he he made his debut on a televised show and he knocked this prospect out really brutally as well really 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 impressed me that day there and then I think he went on to lose after that so he went into this bout with a record of one on one and Linus Udofi is a guy who went into the contest with a record of eight and oh and a lot of people were very high on Udofia, but you know he, he hasn't really proved it yet and he is also Nigerian so you know a little bit of a battle here on on, on the hands of both guys a lot of pride involved here Udofia started really badly. Nwankwo was all over him in the first two rounds. I actually had um, had Udofia two rounds down after two, and it seemed like Nwankwo just really, really, very quickly ran out of steam, and he just had nothing left. When it came to the third round, he was just fighting really on 
well, I, I couldn't tell you what he was fighting on, to be honest. He was just fighting on, I said, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. He had nothing left. He was just plodding forward. He couldn't keep his arms up. He was being hit. And um, I like his story, but I don't like his gas tank. He just had nothing after the two rounds. So after starting really well, he completely ran out of steam. And ultimately, he ended up getting stopped and TKO'd in round five. He was also down in the third round. And like I say, TKO'd in round five. So I feel very sorry for Eric Nwankwo, but he certainly gave a good account of himself for the first couple of rounds. Linus Shudofia now 9-0. and All the very best to him. Um, I completely missed this fight here, but I must mention it anyway. I actually had to watch it back when I got home. Sam Smith, a lady with a record of 8-1. and one, She fought for the vacant Commonwealth female lightweight title. Again, this is the same division as Katie Taylor. Smith, by the way, in her one loss, it was by decision. She'd never been, uh, never been, you know, knocked out or anything like that. She took on a lady called Anisha Bashil, who was actually seven and five coming in. She lost her first five fights as a pro, and all of a sudden, she just put together seven knockout wins in a row. Well, she went into this contest and knocked out Sam Smith in the very first round. Um, Sam Smith was down once, and then I believe she was possibly down again. I can't remember exactly. I think she was either down twice in that first round before the referee waved it off or just down once, but she absolutely had nothing and she was seriously hurt. So Anisha Bashir, who came over from Africa, 20 years of age, she's now moved to eight knockout wins in a row. So that could perhaps be something interesting there for the lightweight division in the female side of the sport. All the very best to Anisha Bashir. I completely missed the fight. Like I say, I was actually buying a burger. I've got to hold my hands up there. Um, also, we have on this bill Savannah Marshall. She completely bludgeoned her opponent. Um, the records, though, Savannah Marshall 2-0, and of course. She made her debut on the Floyd Mayweather Conor McGregor undercard last year, August 26th. She took on Alejandra Ayala, who was 8-2. and two. Like I say, completely bludgeoned her here. Um, Savannah Marshall gave her opponent a bloody nose in the very first round. She knocked her down in the second from a huge 1-2. Um, I felt that the girl, the girl in the other corner, Ayala, did well to really get up from the first knockdown she she showed a lot of bravery a lot of people in the venue were quite disgusted actually because this woman was taking a real beating from savannah and savannah's a big girl for that for that super middleweight division and um yeah like i say she did well to get up and she took a little bit more punishment on the ropes and you know the referee decided to jump in and stop the fight i had no argument with that savannah marshall now three and oh a tko in round two of six and I believe the last fight to mention on this bill is the Joe Joyce fight, of course, the main event. Joe Joyce was supposed to be defending his Commonwealth heavyweight title, but unfortunately, due to a last-minute opponent change, Ivica Baturin jumped in. His record 30-13 with one draw. I don't think he qualified for the Commonwealth, of course, with a name like Baturin, he's not from a Commonwealth country, a Commonwealth nation. So Joe Joyce wasn't able to defend his title, but one thing he did defend was his unbeaten record. He now moves to 5-0 and with 5 KOs. The knockout came in the very first round. Ivica Baturin, I mean, he completely took a dive here, and it was quite distasteful sitting ringside. He completely, completely did not want to know. It was a complete quit job. 
um, if you saw the the shot, and I watched it on slow motion, I watched it live in front of me, I watched it on TV, I've seen many different replays from different angles, and Joe Joyce actually hit him with like an open cuffed hand, so it was more like a slap to the back of the head, and honestly, it wouldn't have even made a, a newborn baby cry, there was no power in this shot, it was completely glancing, it just skimmed his head, and... Um, of course, Ivica Batrim went down like he was shot by some kind of, I don't know, some kind of heavy-duty shotgun, and he just laid on the floor, and um, he didn't want to know, he didn't want to get back up, he was complaining, but he had no leg to stand on whatsoever, and unfortunately, it was a very frustrating way to end what had been a decent night of boxing, really. I felt that the knockout was inevitable, but to come in the first round in that fashion was quite... Um, quite silly really if I get my famous measuring stick out I will say that Jonathan Banks the you know of course the American heavyweight and he ended up being the trainer of Vladimir Klitschko he knocked this guy out in six rounds um, it took Gassiev 10 rounds actually and he didn't get the knockout it was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds when Gassiev fought this guy at cruiserweight so that's something there and also Kudryashov, it took him seven rounds. Again, that fight was at cruiserweight. It took him seven rounds to knock this guy out. Um, who else? Who else? Who else? Bellew took ten rounds to knock this guy out. And so uh, so did Dillian White. He fought him as well. It took Dillian White six rounds to knock him out as well. So um, to do it in the first round... Uh, sorry, Carlos Takam as well. It took two rounds for Carlos Takam, which is quite a good result, I guess, there. But yeah, Joe Joyce did it in one. So quite impressive, I suppose, on paper. But realistically, it wasn't anything too special. That's it for that build there. Let's move over now to a card that happened in Canada. One fight to mention over here. Eves Ulysse Jr. He's the guy that, of course, took Cletus Seldin's O. Very, very impressive boxer, Ulysse Jr. He can really box. He moved to 16 wins and one very controversial loss. He took the O of Ernesto Espana, who was 25-0 and with one draw. Now 25-1 and with one draw. It was also for the vacant WBC Fecker Box Super Lightweight title. A unanimous decision win there. There over 10 rounds for Eves Ulysse Jr., a very, very promising 140 fighter. Moving over now to Germany, one fight to mention over here. This one happened in Munich. We have a guy called Peter Milas. He was 11 and 0. He actually recently knocked out Kevin Johnson. Well, anyway, he picked up a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Francesco Pianetta, a former heavyweight world title challenger that got knocked out, I think, in four rounds by Vladimir Klitschko some years back. But yeah, Peter Milas beat him here on a unanimous decision over 10. This one was for the IBO International Heavyweight title. Also on this bill, we had um, Marco Huck, 40-5 with one draw. He knocked out in the fourth round Jakub Saglum, who now has a record of 40-5. and five. So um, very similar kind of record. Unfortunately, Saglam doesn't really have the names that Marco Huck has. But Saglam can certainly punch. I think he had 37 knockouts from 40 wins, but he was the one on the receiving end here. So a TKO in round four. Marco Huck is back at heavyweight. He weighed quite heavy here as well. 
220 pounds at the weigh-in, so I don't think we'll see him back down at Cruiser. I'm not quite sure what he's got left either, Marco Huck, really, at this point in his career. Um, moving over now to Mexico. One fight to mention over here. Jose Zapita, former um, former 135 world title challenger. I remember he, he lost his O to Terry Flanagan. He moved to 29 wins inside 30 fights. His record 29-1. and one. He won the vacant WBA Intercontinental Lightweight title against Carlos Ramirez, who was 26-0. and 0. He's now had his O taken. It was a fifth-round KO for Jose Zapita. Moving over now to Poland. Two former, um, two former foes of two of the kings at light heavyweight, of course. Andre Fomfara, we've seen him fight Adonis Stevenson twice. On one occasion, he got knocked out in the second round. And also in the other corner, Ishmael Salah, he of course got knocked out in two by Kovalev. So the home fighter here, Andre Fomfara, 29-5, moved to 30-5, a TKO in round six for him. And Ishmael Salah, 25-6, his record now. A very good win there for Fomfara. I'm quite surprised that he was able to get the stoppage because Silla is quite a slick boxer when he, you know, when he's got his... His, uh, his best form going, but um, Fonfara looked so shocked when he took on Adonis Stevenson. I think it was the last time he took him on. So, uh, yeah, I'm surprised he was able to get the knockout there. Um, moving over now to the Metro Radio Arena in Newcastle, Tynham Ware, United Kingdom. A couple of fights to mention here. Glenn Foot moved to 23-3. and A points win over four rounds against Sam Omidi. Jake High managed to get a win, and he moves now to double figures 10 and 0 he got a points win over six rounds against adam jones my favorite journeyman now 8 and 34 with six draws ricky burns he took on a guy called ivan negach who was 10 and 5 ricky burns was having his 50th professional fight they didn't show it on the tv they actually showed it on facebook live which i felt was a little bit undermining to be honest um yeah, Ricky Burns got the win, of course. He made his opponent retire after four rounds, so a good win there for Ricky Burns. 42-7 and seven with one draw now. Also on the bill, Arfan Iqbal took on Simon Valili. 13-1 Simon Valili, Arfan Iqbal 12-0. It was for the English Cruiserweight title that belongs currently to Arfan Iqbal, and also before the fight it belonged to Arfan Iqbal. Um... Yeah, it ended up being a split draw over 10 rounds. This fight, of course, was supposed to happen once or twice in the past. It finally happened and unbelievably actually ended up in a draw. So I'm sure those guys will want to try and get a rematch going. Um, Valili did have two points deducted during the fight. And I actually still felt that he probably deserved to win. But unfortunately for him, the judges did not see it that way. Or at least one or two of them anyway. Um, also on this bill, moving up once again, we had Charlie Edwards 12 and 1. He took on Anthony Nelson 12 and 1. This one was for the vacant WBA Continental Super Flyweight title. Oh my gosh. Boy, oh boy. In the second round, Charlie was just using his left jab to set up this absolute peach of an uppercut, which put Nelson face down on the canvas. And I could not believe he got back up because Charlie stood over him. He probably thought that the fight was over at that point. And in the second round, once again, Charlie was able to put Nelson down with a straight right hand to the body. Um, Nelson once again got up, though, and he, he survived that second round. But in the third round and the final round in this case, Charlie, once again, he, he, he threw a jab and then a right hook to the jaw of Nelson. And once again, Nelson fell flat on his face here. 
And boy, oh boy, Charlie Edwards looks so, so good. He looks so explosive and seriously looks like he's punching a lot harder now as well. So I, after that performance, certainly want to see that Cal Yafaya fight a little bit more than I did beforehand. Charlie did say before the fight that Anthony Nelson was certainly made for him and it really did seem that way. Again, when you get the measuring stick out and actually realize that Anthony Nelson gave Jamie Conlon a fight of the year, um, mega war to be honest and then Charlie Edwards completely dispatches of him in three rounds very 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 impressive there and of course he's now 13 and 1 and he's the new WBA Continental Super Flyweight Champion Charlie um, moving up the bill once again Gavin McDonnell moved to 20 and 1 with two draws it was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Stuart Hall Stuart Hall now 21 and 7 with two draws this was the uh, the fight for the WBC International Super Bantamweight title, the champion of that belt before the fight and after the fight, Gavin McDonnell. You know, this 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 wasn't the most captivating fight, I don't think, and I think that the styles were always going to be that way. Gavin McDonnell was able to win the fight very wide on points, though, in my opinion, and also the judges. Um, I know that Gavin said on our show a few weeks ago when we spoke to him, he said that if he didn't get the stoppage, he'd be quite... Um, quite disappointed in himself. I don't think the stoppage was ever really going to get presented to him, to be honest. Stuart Hall, you know, his, his, his corner said he was he was he was massively behind. Very honest work from the corner there, but yeah, they didn't pull their man out. And Stuart Hall's got you know he's got the heart of a lion, so he he was never going to you know look for an easy way out. He he just had to dig deep, and you know he, he lost very handily to be honest and I'm very pleased for Gavin McDonnell who's had a very very tough time after losing his world title bid in Doncaster last year um, I think it was last year it might have been the year before no it was it was early 2017 if my memory serves me correct but yeah since then he's kind of had to you know he's he's had to have two or three fights now back to back very very hard fights and very much 50-50 fights and he's been able to pull the win out each time, so I'm very pleased for him. He's one of the sport's real, genuine, nice guys. Um, moving up the bill once again, Josh Kelly moved to seven and zero. He successfully defended his WBA international welterweight title, and he actually took here the Commonwealth welterweight title from Chris George, who was fourteen and one going in, now fourteen and two. He broke both of his hands in the fight, and apparently. It's not been confirmed yet, but apparently he could have even broke his jaw as well. So he ended up pulling himself out after seven rounds. I mean, it was quite a slow-paced fight, to be honest. And you could see that. The crowd was completely silent. I'm surprised they weren't booing. I think just because it was Josh Kelly's kind of... Um, kind of his stage I guess the fight being in his in his backyard everybody loved him that went to that card and they didn't really want to boo but it was a very slow paced fight and to be honest Kelly had to take quite a few good shots himself mainly to the body I think that Chris George's tactics were quite good but after a few rounds as expected um, George slowed right down he, he started to get busted up and you know Josh Kelly obviously smelt a bit of a bit of blood and really went for it and of course um, Chris George ended up ending the fight with a very bloodied nose and like I say he decided to quit on his stall it did take Kelly a few rounds to get there but he did get there in the end and the main event I guess even though it wasn't the main event in terms of the way they did the whole show but the main event in my eyes was Lewis Ritson against Paul Highland Jr. Paul Highland Jr. 18-0 Lewis Ritson 15-0 
It was, of course, his third defence of his British lightweight title. I believe, I think it's eight months or nine months now, he's been able to win the title and defend it successfully three times. He's now won it outright. Paul Highland Jr., oh my gosh, he was down three times in that first round and the TKO came in the first round. What a story Ritson has got. He was saying it after the after the fight, Mimi, um, in a post-fight interview. This guy, Lewis Ritson, obviously I'm not expecting him to be a big name in the States or anything like that just yet, but um, the story is that many people were saying to Eddie Hearn, you need to sign this guy, he's really, really good. And Eddie Hearn was basically saying, everybody says that to me, you know, it just goes in one ear and out the other. And then he gave this guy a chance to fight for the British title on one of his shows, and, you know, he, he went in there, and he knocked the British champion out and he took his title. And then two days later, Eddie Hearn decided to sign him. And now he's successfully defended this belt three times. Each fight, he's won with a knockout. And his story of how he actually got into boxing and started taking it seriously was because um, his, his, his child actually came seven weeks premature. And he really needed money. Money was really tight and he actually applied for a job in a bleach factory he was going to just be sitting there putting bottles of bleach on a conveyor belt he was happy to do that any means necessary to make some money and then i'm not quite sure what happened but the boxing just really took off and he hasn't really looked back so he's got a real um a real cool story and he's a he's a very very humble modest guy as well so um very, very, you know, very, very pleased for him. But the fight itself here, I mean, the first knockdown was a very good, was a very good shot that put Highland down. The second one, I think that Highland didn't really seem that hurt. He was kind of punched down rather than knocked down, if you know what I mean. But yeah, the referee waved it off after the third knockdown, and there was only ten seconds left in the round, which I actually felt would have probably been quite good for Highland. I think he needed to regroup the last two knockdowns. Um, of the three, he didn't really seem that hurt, to be honest, but yeah, the thing about Highland is, when he got hurt, he completely opted to trade with Ritson, which is kind of suicidal, really, and um, I mean, he showed a lot of a lot of guts, a lot of heart there, but it wasn't the right thing to do in hindsight, but yeah, he didn't retreat with his attack, he didn't turn into a shell, he went out on his shield, he's got big balls, of course, but yeah, excellent, excellent stuff there for Ritson to win the title and defend it three times in just eight months, and now the world truly is his oyster. I'd like to see him pushed on to European level at least, but I believe that kid's got a very, very bright future. And he's only just 24, so he's only just getting started, really. Moving over now, though, stateside to the Ford Center at the Star in Frisco, Texas, USA. Mimi, you will have to take over here because I didn't see any of this bill whatsoever. But let me just start with the um, the undercard fights here. Your Dennis Ugas, he picked up a win. He's now 22-3. and three. He knocked his guy out in... The second round, actually, a TKO in round two against Jonathan Batista. Batista was down twice in the first round and twice in the second round. Um, also, Javier Fortuna, 33-2 and two with one draw, took on Adrian Granados, a guy that's been on the bad end of a few bad decisions, actually. His record, 18-6 and six with two draws, a lot better than his record suggests. Um, this ended up being a no decision, actually, after four rounds. It went down as a no contest. I haven't seen any of it, Mimi, so please fill me and the rest of the listeners in on what happened here. It was a very interesting fight, to say the least. It was like... A lot of wrestling, you know, a lot of holding. Um, in round one, you know, usually the fighters use that to, like, feel them out. They seem to just go straight into action. There was just a lot of holding, you know. And also you could see the size difference as well. 
he loved being the bigger guy. For him, Granados, he was just basically trying to impose his will on Fortuna, and Fortuna was just basically just trying to, you know, tie him up so he wouldn't hurt him and whatnot. Um, he did land some really, really nice, really, really, really nice sweeping left hands, and he was countering pretty well, especially in round two. Round two, I thought um, Fortuna took it. Um, he was landing the cleaner shots out of the two, um, and also, you know, he Fortuna was tying him up, you know, uh, Granados is trying to get inside, you know, try to get some inside work in, you know, and Fortuna was just having none of that. So he just kept tying him up to kind of neutralize that inside fighting, which is basically, you know, what Granados has, you know, really good, you know, rough inside fighting. Um, there was also in round three, uh, Fortuna started, you know, putting some combos together. He came out jabbing. Um, again, Granados getting inside work in. That's where he was shining and he was smothering him using his size. Uh, also, oh, yes, and about round four as well. Um, there was Fortuna basically landing some really, really nice left hands on uh, on uh, Granados. And then out of nowhere, they were kind of tied up. And um, Fortuna, uh, I guess, punched him. And he punched him, you know, in the back of the neck with, you know, a rabbit punch. And then um, I, the ref took a, a point away, which was really shocking, you know, to me. I mean... It was I, I from what from what I saw it wasn't done previously in the fight. So for him just to take a point off, I thought it was like a bit, you know, a bit harsh. And then not too long after that, he got he got another point deducted off of him. This time it was for holding. Um, so I think that Fortuna just felt like the sense of urgency. So he just started like, you know, swinging for the hills. And let me tell you something, this was the first time in the fight that Granados was stepping back at all because Granados was in his face. And then all of a sudden, you know, this sense of urgency just came on him and he's just going forward. And then um, Granados, you know, was backing up. And then I, I felt like he was, Fortuna was getting really, really successful and really, really clean shots landing um, landing on, uh, on Granados. He ended up, you know, kind of tying up with him against the ropes. And then next thing you know, they just start kind of wrestling and he ends up out of the ring. Well, his legs were still inside the ring. He kind of ends up like dangling off of, off of the ring. He went between the ropes and he just fell back and he hit his shoulder, if I'm not mistaken, on the stairs. And um, from then on, it was just terrible. It was just, you know, they ended up, he ended up complaining a lot about his neck. He wasn't moving his neck. Um you know, and then they put him in a neck brace. Then he was just like, you know, you know, taken out to the hospital. It was just, it's just completely like not the way you want a fight to end, you know. And there was a, lo a lot of, you know, talk as well, you know, about, about the after, you know, the post-fight interview with Granados. You know, Granados was basically just saying that, um, you know, that he was basically playing it off and looking for a way out, you know, with the fight because he had just gotten two points, you know, deducted off of him. And um, honestly, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, his neck, obviously. I don't know if he really hurt his neck, but I did see his head, you know, fling backwards. And it was it was kind of like terrifying to see, actually. Um, and then also it was like, you know, there there's a lot of like, this, you know, a lot of discussion, you know, about you know, on whether or not it was really something that was legit, a legit, you know, him being hurt, or if it was something that he was just making up because he knew that, you know, he was on the losing side of this fight. And then the ref was, the ref was not on his side. That's for sure.
Yeah, it seems like some more bad luck there for Adrian Granales. He just seems to, uh, you know, to be followed by this grey cloud. Um, yeah, very surprising there, though. I know that you said the referee was against Fortuna. I actually thought Fortuna would probably have his way with Adrian Granados, not to take nothing away from Adrian Granados' hunger. Of course, he seems to never run out of that. Um, moving up the bill once again, Daniel Roman, 24-2 and with one draw, successfully defended his WBA World Super Bantamweight title against Moises Flores. Um, it was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds here. Moises Flores, of course, is the guy that took on Guillermo Rigondo in that fight where Rigondo kind of hit him as the bell went to end a round and he just, you know, he laid on the floor and no one's quite sure to this day if he was really as hurt as he made out. But yeah, that ended up being a no contest as well, that fight there. So that's that's actually why he's he's still got his O. Well, he did have his O. He actually had it took here legitimately from Daniel Roman, who, like I say, successfully defended his WBA World Super Bantamweight title. So good win there for Roman. Now 25-2 and two with one draw. Moises Flores, 25-1. and one. And the main event here, um, I, I expected it to go a little bit longer than than it did. But me, I, as and the listeners all went with an Errol Spence knockout. That is what happened. But nobody, I'm guessing, I'm guessing there's probably a few people that saw it in the first round. But it, you know, it took it took me by surprise. Certainly, Errol Spence Jr. now 24 and 0. He successfully defended his IBF World Welterweight title. He took on Carlos Ocampo, of course, his mandatory challenger. We didn't know tons about this guy, but of course, when we saw the 22 and 0, you have a little look at his resume, a little bit, you know, a little bit padded. I thought, yeah, he's um, he's not the truth. Errol Spence is the truth, but. It was very brutal, a first-round KO Mimi. Once again, I didn't see it. Please walk us through this fight. Ocampo went in with, you know, with the right attitude. He went in confident. He's never had a loss. So, you know, he went in with the right attitude. And he just, you know, he went in there to win. He went in there, you know, but it just did not work in his favor. Um, Ocampo showed an experience with exchanging, you know, with with, with Spence, which is not really something you want to do with him. You more want to box and move with, with Spence. And then, actually, I saw Errol, like, you know, showing some great movement in boxing. You know, he's boxing. He's moving back and forth, avoiding, you know, avoiding Ocampo's hits. He was doing extremely well. Um, you know, however, Ocampo did land a couple good body shots. And he was, you know, throwing several combos as well. I don't, I don't know the, if it really affected, you know, uh, you know, Errol Spence to, you know, to any real degree. However, um, I did notice that Spence kind of held, you know, Ocampo's left arm and proceeded to attack his body with the other side, you know, with his other with his other arm, which was pretty interesting. But uh, um, basically, um, with at, at the end of the of the round, with like only like ten seconds left or something along those lines, um, Ocampo was against the ropes, and then he, out of they just were exchanging, and then out of nowhere, like you know, Spence hit him. You know, in the process of him trying to, uh, you know, uh, get his offense going with with Spence, and he wasn't expecting it, got caught with a body shot, and you know what? And it was just over from there. And you know, he just couldn't get up. He was really hurt, and Spence is known for ripping at the body, and that's what he did. Yeah, credit to um, to Carlos Acampo in some ways because he really did come out, and you know, he tried to to put it on Errol a little bit. So. Uh, Credit to him, but um, it'll probably be a long time till we see him again. I don't think anyone's going to want to fight him. You know, it's not like you can really outdo what Errol Spence did and get a, 
you know, a knockout in 30 seconds rather than <laughs> rather than a minute or whatever it was. So, uh, yeah, I don't think we'll see him for quite a while, but all the very best to him. The one last fight to mention actually happened in Germany in a place called Baden-Württemberg, I think it said. Firat Arslan, he is, of course, aged 47. He started his pro career in 1997. He's still going. He picked up win number 43. He's got eight losses and two draws. It was a KO in the very first round against Pablo Magrini, who is now 19-5 and with one draw. This one was for the vacant Global Boxing Union World Cruiserweight title. So, uh... That's five knockouts on the bounce now for Firat Arslan. All the very best to him. And that really is it for the reviewing. Just before we wrap up part one, there's one last thing to do. That, of course, is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF featherweight world champion, Mr. Billy Dib. Billy, welcome back on the show, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's always my pleasure, Billy. You know that. So we last spoke back in November 17. Of course, we had you and Tevin Farmer on the same interview. It was fun. It was respectful. But at that point, the fight was purely a possibility. Now it's real. It's happening. It's, of course, set for August the 3rd. I want to get into that in just a moment. At the time when we last spoke, you told myself and Tevin that you'd be fighting in a bit of a keep busy kind of fight in December. You did have that fight in the end. You relatively... Um, easily beat a guy, a tire fighter, over eight rounds. I think originally it was supposed to be a ten-rounder, but it ended up being eight. You banked those eight rounds. You won unanimously. Um, it was a good thing, I suppose, because your two fights before that had only gone one and two rounds, and you hadn't really done the proper rounds since June 2016. Obviously, banking the rounds before a world title fight is very, very important. You know that yourself. Um, just for those that didn't see it, Billy, could you just give us a quick rundown of how that fight went on December 2nd, I believe? I actually went really, really well. I, I watched it back last night, to be quite honest. I was, uh, I was just watching it last night. Um, it, it was good. It was a good against a uh, tough Thai uh, uh, kid. So you know he just kept coming forward the whole night and um, putting the pressure. And I just boxed him and uh, used the ring and just worked on the fundamentals um, that Jeff had been teaching me. And so it was. I, I ended up winning in a unanimous decision. I won every single round. It was a complete shutout. It was a good fight. The other, the other thing is that Boxrec hasn't recognized my last fight. I actually fought again um, on December the 31st in Thailand against a uh, another Thai kid and won uh, one in the second round with a second round knockout. So they just haven't they haven't recognized the fight or haven't put it up on Boxrec. I don't know what what's going on with that. Oh wow. Okay. Thanks for letting me know because I didn't know that. That's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um... Obviously, a week after the fight that you had on December 2nd, Tevin Farmer fought for the vacant world title. Um, at the time of the joint interview at that point, you both had your own fight scheduled. Uh, we just spoke about your one there, a relatively easy win. Tevin Farmer's one was a lot different. He seemingly won the fight but in many people's eyes, but of course, the judges saw it differently. A lot of people were screaming robbery. And after the hold the battle, of course, we saw Kenichi Ogawa um, Ogawa, I should say, test positive for a banned substance and the result ended up being overturned, which made it a no contest. Firstly, did you see the fight? What did you make of it? And who did you feel won? Well, let me just tell you one thing, right? The fight was in America with, with um, you know, the correct judges that they chose. You know, I'm, I'm sure the majority of the judges were were from a um, 
an American country on that night, if I'm correct. <laughs> you know, and so for Farmer, Farmer lost a decision, right? He lost a split decision. So evidently, the judges, they didn't feel that he'd done enough to win. And that fight was in his hometown. So you could imagine if that fight was in Japan. If that fight was in Japan, they would have said, oh, my God, he got robbed because he went to Japan. But they're saying he got robbed in his own backyard. That, to me, that's strange. You know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, I thought it was a very, very close fight. You know, it could have gone either way. I don't feel like Tevin won it, and I don't feel I don't feel like he lost it. I just feel like he just didn't do enough to just, you know, to to uh, basically take the decision with no questions, you know, with no questions asked. So you know, Gal was the one pressing the action, and Farmer was the one on the back foot. And I I, I think I, I kind of worked out that the judges don't like the fighter on the back foot. They want to see the guy that's more aggressive, um, trying to make a fight of it. So do I feel, do I feel that Farmer won the fight? Uh, not really. Do I feel that he lost the fight? Not really. I, I just feel like he just didn't do enough. You know, I mean, that's the truth. I, I, I just feel like uh, the decision, you know, people are going to live with it. A guy was an idiot because he tests positive to uh, a banned substance. That's his fault, you know what I mean? But how dumb can you be? You know what I mean? Taking banned substances like in the lead up to a world title fight. I just don't get it. And I remember at the time you said that you wanted Tevin to win because you were then going to be the mandatory. You wanted to be the mandatory because you'd get paid more than being, you know, being a voluntary defence for Tevin. However, with what happened um, with Farmer and Ogawa, is this the the best kind of situation for you financially for this to all happen for it to, you know, for, well, be well, I'm going to be quite honest with you. At the at the end of the day, the fact that Tevin wasn't the champion and I was the higher ranked fighter. You know, um, they gave us some um, leverage power when it once came to uh, bringing the fight to Australia. You know, and we, we made them an offer and they couldn't turn it down because um, the truth of the matter is that Tevin Farmer, he's not worth anything to any network in America. He's not worth anything. You know, I mean, they paid him over the top when he fought Ogawa. I think they paid him like $75,000 to fight Ogawa. And, you know, he can't get that anywhere else. So... You know, the networks weren't screaming the Billy Dib and Tevin Farmer on, you know. So we we were able to bring the fight to Australia. And um, uh, August 3rd, we'll be over here on August 3rd. And it's going to be an exciting night and for the Australian fans, that's for sure. Because, um, you know, we don't get a lot of big world title fights in Australia. So to have one here and stage it ourselves, that's going to be very exciting. Um, yeah, that's 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 a brilliant thing, of course, breaking history again, uh, or making history again. And like you say, there, you know, the fact that the fight's happening in Australia, I've got to be honest, I was very shocked because I know that they paid Agawa decent money to come over to America. I really thought you'd be the one traveling. So um, just you know, just an extra kind of layer of of what you just said there. I'm sure you're really over the moon with the fact that it's happening in Australia, advantage wise. But, but I, can assure, I can assure you one thing. It was never going to happen in the U.S. Um, I've got two. The financial backing that I have here in Australia and the support base that I have with, with all my sponsors is so fantastic. So, you know, there was, there was never going to be a fight in the U.S. And I told Farmer that from day dot. I said, then listen, you know the fight's going to be in Australia. And he said, no, we'll see about that. And I said, well, okay, we will see. I said, unless you guys can afford to pay me over the top, then it's never going to happen in the U.S. And it was a deal that just got done, I'm guessing. It didn't have to go to purse bids or anything like that, did it? No, no purse bid at all. We just made an offer. You know, they obviously came back and, uh, you know, asked for more and what have you. But in the end, we just worked it out. And now, August 3rd, you know, the, the fight's going to take place in Sydney, Australia. It's going to be a big event for Australia. And, and I feel that the fact that the fight's here in Australia is going to be in my favour. 
you know, fighters don't travel well when they come to Australia. Yeah, for sure. Very hard to adjust to the climate. Um, I must point out, obviously, Billy, um, to be a little bit critical, of course, you've lost to three different men. Two of those men have been Southpaws. Tevin's a very good Southpaw. Do you not do well against Southpaws in general, or were those two guys just better than you on the night, simply? Well, against against uh, Stephen Loeveno, I was just, you know... I was just young. I guess I was young and just wasn't um, ready for that big task. And, and against um, uh, against the uh, Kashi Mira, I was winning the fight clearly and just got clipped. You know what I mean? That's that's boxing. You know what I mean? It happens. You know what I mean? So, but in my career, not many people would know this, but I've fought close to 17 or 18 southpaws, and I've got you know, I've got the majority of them wins except two losses. Once against one against Stephen Loeven and one against uh, Mira. So. No big deal. I, I don't find Southpaws that special, to be honest. And one thing that you said when we had you on the phone with Tevin that kind of surprised me at the time, you said that, and I don't know if you were just being very respectful of him, but you did say that you felt to beat Farmer, you'd need to stop him. Do you still feel that way? No, not at all. It's different now. It's different now. I, I, I don't have to stop him. I, I was talking about having to stop him if I go to the US, but... You know, I, I, I'm not going to say that I, don't, I'm not, I wasn't going to get a fair shake in the U.S., but I feel like the fact that the fight's here in Australia, you know, there'll be one American judge, there'll be one Australian judge, and there'll be one neutral judge. I'm sure, I'm sure that I will get a fair shake, and he will get a fair shake too. You know, the winner, the winner's going to win, and the loser's going to lose. It's as simple as that. The way I look at it is that he's going to work hard, I'm going to work hard, but whatever's ordained from God is going to be. So, you know... Either he's going to be victorious or I'm going to be victorious. It's, it can't go. We can't both be victorious, and and I accept that. You know what I mean? I'm I'm doing everything I can in training camp to make sure that once he gets here, and once that bell rings on August third, that I'm completely ready. You know that'll be up to me. And if I'm not ready, then I'm going to pay the price. That's just the way I look at it. And of course, elsewhere, uh, we just recently saw Jeff Horn lose his world title to Terence Crawford. Not many people really gave Horn a chance going into that fight. He lost quite, uh, you know, quite badly in the end. Do you believe he can, you know, can bounce back from that and come back and perhaps become a world champion again, or perhaps not? Look, I'm not sure. You know, uh, Jeff Horn is a. Uh... I feel like Jeff Horn, yeah, he's a very limited fighter. You know, I mean, he's 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 a, he's a tough, gritty fighter, but he's limited in his skill base. And you saw that against Terence Crawford. I, at the end of the day, I just feel like you know Manny Pacquiao was sort of, you know, a, a little bit over the hill when he fought um, Jeff, and that was good. For, you know, Jeff got him at the right time, and I'm happy for Jeff. You know, he he got to make uh, a title defense and. You know, you got to cash in a little bit against Crawford. Whether or not he wins another world title, I don't know. It just depends if they can find him the right opponent. You know, Jeff's a good kid, and um, you know he did Australia proud that night when he beat um uh, when he beat Manny Pacquiao. And even in losing to Crawford, you know, no 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 shame in that. You know, because Crawford's going to be a powerful pound star, so you know, a future Hall of Famer, I I believe. But um, he was just completely outgunned, completely outgunned. Yeah, for sure. And he certainly did win that Pacquiao fight. A lot of people think he didn't. In my eyes, he won it really clearly. Um, coming down to the last couple questions now, really, Billy, I wanted to ask you if there was any fights that are coming up at all that you just want to give your, you know, give your say on or give your prediction on any fights at all, any weight class? 
Well, you know, I just seen yesterday that um my good friend Luke Jackson is going to be facing um Carl uh, uh, Frampton. Yes. Um, August, I think it's August 18th. So you know, you know, Luke. Luke is one of the hardest working guys that I've met in my life. You know, I've I've trained alongside Luke. I've done many many rounds of sparring, and um, you know, a word of advice to um Carl Frampton is definitely don't underestimate this kid. You know, this kid works really really hard and. He's been at the top of the game, you know, um, as an amateur. He's fought some really, really good amateur fighters. And, um, you know, he's obviously a, you know, a, a bronze medalist at the Commonwealth Games. He's also a uh, representative of the uh, 2000 and, um, I think it was... Uh, 2012. Olympic Games. He was captain as well. So, believe me when I tell you, this kid, Luke Jackson, uh, he, he works hard and he's earned his spot. You know, he's earned his spot and... Even though he's not um, fought the same caliber of opposition as a professional, but he has fought probably better opposition as an amateur than Carl Frampton has as a pro. You know what I mean? So, you know, the amateur that the amateur that he's faced is very, very clever. And and and, and uh, I could tell you one thing: um, he he's a very witty kid. You know what I mean? He's a very witty kid in the ring, and he's smart and he's clever, and he makes you think. Yeah, certainly, certainly should be a real good fight that one. And the final thing for you now, Billy. Anything at all that you just want to say to get off your chest that I may not have asked you? Anything, you know, anything at all that you want to say? Just take it away. Honestly, I don't really have much to say. I just want to say, you know, thank you to all the fans out there who have continued to support me. You know, I'm very motivated to win this world title fight. I have a reason to win it. I mean, it's at home, and this is a chance for me to make history by winning another world title in my hometown of Australia. You know, I'm trained by the uh, great Jeff Fennick, who's a three-time world champion himself and a Hall of Famer. So, you know, Tevin Farmer's in for, for a rough night. I promise you that. It's not going to be easy. I know it's not going to be easy for me either. But if he thinks that he's coming out to Australia just for a whole day to collect a title, because that's the way I feel that he is acting, then he's got something uh, coming for him. Absolutely. But listen, Billy, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. I wish you the absolute best of luck for August the 3rd in Redfern, and we'll catch up sometime after for sure. For sure. Thank you very much. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part. Ayaz has sent me all of the latest news, so let's go through what we have here. Um, On the undercard of Joseph Parker and Dillian White, we will have two extra fights here on the undercard. Um, Kel Brook will take on Brandon Cook and Chisora, Derek Chisora, of course, will take on former foe of Anthony Joshua, Mr. Carlos Takam. Also, a former foe of Joseph Parker, who's fighting on the main event, like I say. This one is going to be on the 28th of July. Now, um... You know, the Chisora-Takam fight is actually quite a good fight. When I say good, I mean in terms of it's hard to split a winner here. I'd probably edge to Carlos Takam, actually. Um, I think he's even the betting favorite just slightly. But yeah, Carlos Takam, obviously, uh, I think he's probably the fresher guy. And they've got similar-ish kind of styles. Um, both both of them are very, very tough. I'm certainly expecting a 12-round fight here. But... Um, I'd probably favour Carlos Takam, to be honest, but I hope I'm wrong. Um, That should be a decent fight. But one fight that I'm not so sure would be a decent fight. Kell Brook, 37-2, takes on Brandon Cook, 20-1. Brandon Cook's one loss came by knockout to Kana Islam, who's now um, still an undefeated fighter based in 
uh, in the states from from Kazakhstan. A bit of a bit of an untested guy. He's twenty five and zero right now. Um, yeah, I'm not overly impressed with Brandon Cook. He's you know he's he's a Canadian fighter, but yeah, he's he's got quite a padded record in terms of his wins. The only real time he stepped up properly, like I say, he got knocked out in nine rounds. Um, He's got a couple of decent-ish wins, couple decent-ish wins, but no real big names there. So Kelbrook, I'm sure, will knock this guy out. Not very excited for that one. Um, I'm not sure if we mentioned it on last week's show, but Connor Ben will be having a rematch with that guy that he was very lucky to beat on points. They were both down, of course, in that fight. Um, that's going to be on the undercard also, so that should be probably quite a good fight there. Um, Joshua Boatsy, he's 6-0. and He'll be taking on Ricky Summers, 15-1. and His one loss came to Frank Buglioni, so that should be quite a decent step up for Boatsy. Finally fighting somebody that we know. Also, Paddy Barnes will be fighting for a world title in just his sixth professional fight. He'll be taking on Christopher Rosales, the WBC world champion um, at flyweight, of course. Paddy Barnes, a guy that obviously was a real good amateur, hasn't really done anything too much as a pro. I mean, he's only beaten two guys with winning records, and unbelievably, even though he's not ranked in the top 15 by the WBC, Frank Warren has managed to impose some kind of special clause and the, you know the fight's going ahead Christopher Rosales 27 and 3 he won the title in his last fight against the previously undefeated Daigo Higa who was 15 and 0 and he was able to knock Higa out in the ninth round also we've seen Christopher Rosales over here um, twice before two of his three losses actually happened in the UK he got beat on points by Kalyafai over eight rounds back in 2015 and he he lost most recently in 2017 to Andrew Selby where he actually had Selby down in the first round that was a you know a loss for him over 12 rounds unanimously so he's never been stopped himself Paddy Barnes not really the biggest puncher either so probably a 12 round fight there but a brilliant thing for Paddy Barnes to be fighting for a world title in just his sixth pro fight that one of course will be happening on Carl Frampton's undercard which is set for the 18th of August um, also, we should mention Liam Smith will reportedly be challenging for the WBO world title against um, Jamie Munguia. How do you say his name again? Mimi, you're better than me. Munguia. Munguia. Okay. Yeah. Jamie Munguia. Is he even Jamie? <laughs> well, it's Jamie in English, yes. Just ta- it's, do, it, it's, do, it it's... The, do it in the Spanish. You're the best with the accent. Jaime. Do the whole name. Jaime Munguia. Okay. Oh, it sounds good. But yeah, anyway, Jaime <laughs> Munguia, he'll be defending his WBO super welterweight title, of course. Um, the one that he ripped away in brutal fashion um, from Saddam Ali not that long ago, actually. So he's looking like he's going to be you know, quite active. He's only a young guy. I think he's only 21 years of age, something young like that. So uh, that's set to be happening, I believe, on July 21st. A venue is yet to be announced, but... I'm sure. Um, I'm sure that's what I think. Frank Warren said that. that. That's a bit, a bit of a rumor slash kind of truth. So, that, I'm not sure how much weight that holds. But also, Lucas Brown will be returning to the ring. Of course, last time he got absolutely um, knocked out brutally by by Dillian White. He will return to the ring actually a day after Dillian White's fight. He'll be returning on July the 29th against a Australian called Roger Isondrete who, um, well, 
I mean, he's not going to really be able to pose any kind of threat, I don't think, to the former heavyweight world champion, Lucas Brown. That will be happening in the Punch Bowl Club in Sydney. I've always liked the name of that venue there. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple other bits here. Paul Smith has announced his retirement from professional boxing. Of course, um, Paul Smith fought for a world title a couple of times, or three times, I think. He, he lost really only at the highest level, I guess. And people criticise him for not really having the wins at the, you know, at the highest level. Obviously, he came up short against Zoiga. He fought Andre Ward. He fought Arthur Abraham twice back-to-back. And um, yeah, unfortunately, it never really, never really came together for him. He's got, you know, three really good boxing brothers, and as you know, as a foursome, they've been they've been brilliant for British boxing. I've never, you know, had any kind of hard feelings towards Paul Smith. Sometimes he does say some unsavoury things on Twitter, but it is what it is. Who doesn't? And you know, I'd like to wish him all the best, really, for his retirement. He's quite a good pundit, actually. So. Um, yeah, all the very best to Paul Smith from me. Uh, and the final thing that I've got is that Liam Williams has decided to part ways with his trainer. And, you know, his trainer for a long, long time, Gary Lockett. He's now decided to relocate to Sheffield and train under the tutelage of Dominic Ingle. So um, that, that, that'll be quite an interesting link-up. Dominic Ingle's stable seems to just keep expanding all the time. So um, I think there'll be good sparring for him there as well. Obviously, you've got the likes of Billy Joe Saunders in that camp. You've got the likes of Kel Brook at the same weight, actually. That should be quite interesting. And, of course, you've got in and around the same kind of weight um, the Irish guy that I completely forgot his name and I really like him and he's undefeated. What's the guy's name? He's Jason Quigley. Jake, Jason Quigley. So, uh, yeah, good sparring there, I'm sure, for Liam Williams. Um, yeah, and that that's all I've got. But there's a bigger piece of news than all that put together, of course, Mimi. Tell us about the World Boxing Super Series announcement. It was up in the air for a long, long time. We wasn't sure if we were going to finally see the fight. We thought there may be a, a, you know, a replacement opponent. We were all sad about that. But finally, the fight that, we've all been waiting for is happening the fight where two undefeated champions for all the belts will be getting in the ring and both men deserve to be in that final most importantly tell us about that fight yeah so for the last and final fight for the wbss cruiserweight final it's going to be a usic gassy if it's finally on and it's going to be in moscow on july 21st so that's something to look forward to Absolutely. For all true boxing fans, that is going to be such a brilliant, brilliant fight. I really can't pick a winner. I'd probably just edge to Usyk, but that is such a brilliant fight. Obviously, Gassiev, um, still very young. I think he's still 24 years of age, and, you know, what a career he's had so far. So many brilliant wins on his resume, and um, the winner will move up to heavyweight. But, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that fight went either way. Um is that all the pieces of news that we've got? Is there anything else, Mimi, or is that everything? No, that's everything. Okie dokie, okie dokie. Right, let's roll through uh, to the preview. And in fact, just before we get onto that, I should mention um, the predictions from last week. I should have mentioned this in the review part of the show. But anyway, um, we all went with Charlie Edwards to win on points. He, he got a third round KO. So, of course, we all got that horribly wrong. We all went with... Um, Gavin McDonald to win on points so we all gained a point there um, we all went with Josh Kelly to win by knockout so we all gained a point there we all went with Ritson to win by no sorry I went with Ritson to win so did the listeners went with Ritson to win by knockout but I as actually 
very bravely and boldly went with a Ritson win on points. I don't know what gave him that idea, but that, you know, that, of course, ended in the first round, a knockout there. We all went with Javier Fortuna to win on points. Mimi informed us of the bizarre circumstances that unfolded there, where um, Fortuna left with, with, you know, with a neck brace on. So nobody, you know, the fight didn't even go to points, so no one got a point there. And we all went with Spence to win by knockout. Of course, that happened in the first round also. So I gained four points, I has gained three, and the listeners gained four. So the listeners, I believe that's a two-point gap now on Iaz. So, yeah. Very well done to the listeners and all involved. Um, moving over now, like I say, to the preview part of the show. We're going to start in the Masonic Temple in Detroit, Michigan, USA. Um, this one's going to be shown on Showtime. It's actually happening tomorrow night. We have Umar Salamov, 20-1. and one. He fights for the vacant IBF North American light heavyweight title against Brian Howard, 13-1. and one. Um, That's a 10-rounder there. Umar Salamov is a guy who... Um, I mean, he's fought a couple good guys. He beat um, he beat Bob Ajasaf, our very own Bob Ajasaf. His one loss came to Damian Hooper, but yeah, Brian Howard. He's 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 thirteen and one. Like I say, ten knockouts from his thirteen wins, and his one loss came by knockout to a guy with a losing record. So I'd probably favour. Umar Salamov in this one here. Um, moving up the bill, we have Christina Hammer. She's 22 and 0. She takes on Tori Nelson, 17 and 1 with three draws. Tori Nelson's one loss came to Clarissa Shields. Uh, this one is for Christina Hammer's WBC and WBO World Female Middleweight titles. Now, of course, it's a 10 2 minute round contest and the main event here Clarissa Shields is on the bill her record 5 and 0 oh. she's moved down from super middleweight to middleweight here and she fights for the two other belts out of the four so um they're both vacant at the moment she fights for the vacant IBF world female middleweight title and the vacant WBA world female middleweight title so Clarissa Shields fights for the IBF and WBA and of course on the undercard Christina Hammer defends her WBC and WBO obviously the these two girls will be getting it on for all four belts at some point, I believe, later this year. In the other corner against the golden girl, Clarissa Shields, we have Hannah Gabriels. She has a record of 18-1 and one with one draw. Um, of course, once again, a 10 two-minute rounds contest here. Um, yeah, I mean... Look, Christina Hammer is a fighter. I'm going to kind of talk about the two fights here. Christina Hammer's a fighter where she's a real good boxer, but she doesn't really have that power of her 22 uh, of her 22 wins. She's got 10 knockouts. I don't think she will be able to beat, um, you know, beat beat Tory Nelson by knockout. Tory Nelson in that loss obviously lost every round to Clarissa Shields, but it was on points. Clarissa Shields, she. Again, I don't think she's the biggest power puncher, but she's moving down to middleweight, so there's that interesting factor there. And the, the lady that she takes on, Hannah Gabriels, her one loss came by knockout to a lady whose name I can't pronounce, to be honest, but she was a real banger from the Dominican Republic. So uh, two interesting fights there, actually. I'm I'm happy about the, you know, the females taking the spotlight there. But yeah, Clarissa Shields versus Christina Hammer for all the marbles. That'll be a fantastic fight later this year. All the very best to both ladies there. We will be probably speaking to Clarissa Shields on next week's show. I'm going to try to get her to sing a song as well, because last time she was on, she gave us a little bit of a little bit of Rihanna. Let's see if we can try to get a few more seconds out of her next time. 
Um, moving over now to Montreal, Quebec, Canada at the Montreal Casino. What do we have over here? We have one fight to mention. Stephen Butler, the home fighter, 23-1 and one with one draw. He takes on the wily veteran Carson Jones, 40-13 and 13 with three draws. I don't need to say how many fighters Carson Jones has fought um, in the UK, of course, off the top of my head. Most recently, Ted Cheeseman. And before that, he fought Ben Hall. And, of course, he had the two fights, I believe, with Kel Brook before that. So, um, yeah, you know, very much known to the UK fans. All the very best to Carson Jones, actually. He really does travel well. And I wish him well on his travels here to Canada. Um, moving over now to France, we have top of the bill Tony Yoka, 4-0, of course, the Olympic gold medalist in 2016 he takes on our very own dave allen 13 and 3 with two draws um it's a 10 round contest dave allen hasn't really had the best time to prepare for this fight obviously dave allen a very very brave fighter we don't have to say that we all know that he's shown that before against dillian white he's shown that before against Luis ortiz but this is um you know a fight where he's having to to you know to travel for and i as much as I really do love Dave Allen, I'm a huge fan of his, who isn't, um, I, I, I don't see him winning this fight, and I think that Tony Yoka will win this fight for sure. Um, we've gone to the predictions on here, and Dave Allen actually retweeted the poll. So loads of his followers have voted on it, and... Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for the loyal listeners of the podcast, but your votes have really been overshadowed by um you know the followers of dave allen's twitter so dave allen has won the poll and 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 you know the listeners and the people on twitter have voted 3400 votes by the way they voted dave allen to win by knockout 43 percent and after that tony yoker on points 22 percent now i as has gone with um tony yoker to win by knockout now i I might go against that. I think Tony Oka's going to win, but to win by knockout against Dave Allen, who's a real tough, tough guy, even though the preparation hasn't really been there. Oh, it's a tough one. Um, let me think, let me think, let me think. I'm going to go with Tony Yoka to win on points. I think he wins on points. I don't think he stops Dave Allen. I really hope I'm right there. And, um, you know, unfortunately, listeners, even if you don't think that Dave Allen will win, unfortunately, when some people retweet it, <laughs> there's not much I can do. So, um, yeah, all the very best to everybody there. Also on the undercard, we have Solomon Sissoko, 6-0 and with five knockouts. He's in a 10-rounder. Of course, he also is the, uh, the 2016 Olympic bronze medalist. He takes on Carlos Molina, the former IBF junior middleweight world champion, whose record now is 28-9 and with two draws. Last seen losing to Josh Kelly on the Joshua Parker undercard on March 31st. We will be speaking to Carlos Molina later on in the show. Uh, moving over now to Mexico, we have Miguel Burchelt defending his WBC World Super Featherweight title against Jonathan Victor Barros, a man that um, a man that lost to Lee Selby, a man that got knocked out by Mikey Garcia. 
But yeah, like I say, he takes on Miguel Burchell, who, of course, is the favourite by by a mile. His record 33-1. and one. I'm expecting Burchell to get a win here. You know, he'll do really well to stop Victor Barros or Jonathan Victor Barros because he's a real tough guy. 41-5 and five with one draw, like I say. Moving over now to South Africa. A couple of fights here to mention, actually. We have a guy called Fulani Mbenge, who's 13-0. and 0. He fights for the vacant IBO World Welterweight title. In the other corner, Diego Chavez, 26-3 and three with one draw. Former opponent of Tim Bradley. Former opponent of Brandon Rios. A real tough and rugged and in some ways dirty fighter. I know that he got DQ'd, I think, against Brandon Rios. So yeah, that's a 12-round contest there. And on the undercard, Tabisa Machunu, 18-4. He takes on Rickards Bolotniks, who's 11-4 with one draw. Should be quite an easy win there for Machunu, who we all thought was going to go on to do really good things. I mean, he beat Eddie Chambers when Eddie Chambers moved down to cruiserweight, which may not have been the right choice at that period of time. But Machunu hasn't really managed to capitalise on that win. That's a 10-rounder there. Moving back over now, though, to the O2 Arena in London. This is a fight card that I will be sat ringside for. What do we have over here? We have Ryan the Parama Ghana, 7-0. He's in a six-rounder against Norbert Ezenzi, who's 6-3. and three. I'm expecting a an easy win there for Ryan Garner, a real bright prospect for the future. That's a six-rounder there. Daniel Dubois, he is 7-0 and at the moment. He takes on Tom Little, 10-5. and This one is for the vacant English heavyweight title, a 10-round contest here. I'd like to see Dubois go quite a few rounds. I know that Tom Little's a very stubborn character, and he will certainly give it a go, believe you me. He really is very, very confident for this one, and I wish him all the best, to be honest. I like Tom Little, but I don't think he will be able to win this one at all I think that Daniel Dubois will knock him out um, hopefully it goes into the you know into the second part of the fight hopefully it goes over five rounds but I'm not quite sure it will Anthony Yard 15 and 0 he fights against his first southpaw the you know the man in the other corner Darius Sek who's 27 and 3 with three draws this one is for Anthony Yard's WBO European light heavyweight title and his WBO intercontinental light heavyweight title of course we had Anthony Yard on the show um, a couple of weeks back, and he did say to me he was looking for a southpaw. They've found one here. This guy, he's not been dragged up to light heavyweight. He's not been dragged down to light heavyweight. He is a career light heavyweight. And of his three losses, they've all come to decent opposition, to be honest with you. I mean, they were all by decision. He's never been stopped. He lost to a guy who was undefeated called Robert Woj. He lost to Robin Krasnicki, who, of course, is the reigning um, European light heavyweight champion, so no real shame in that one, and he had to go on the road, and it was quite a close fight as well, so you can imagine that's that's not a bad loss there, and also his other loss that uh, that came in 2017 was a split decision loss over eight rounds against Viktor Polyakov, so um, no shame in those losses really, and Anthony Yard, I'm expecting, will probably go a few rounds here, it'll be very interesting to see how he fares against the Southpaw, the first one in his career, I believe, pro and amateur, so all the very best to Anthony Yard, a friend of the show. Um, Martin Murray, of course, he was supposed to be taking on Billy Joe Saunders. That fight fell through, but Frank Warren still secured him a fight. We have Roberto Garcia, 41-3. and three. He takes on, like I say, Martin Murray, a man that has been very, very unlucky. We don't want to say that too many times. He's been very unlucky to not be crowned a world champion multiple times throughout his career. His record at the moment, though, stands at 
36 and 4 with one draw of his four losses. The only man to be able to stop him was Gennady Golovkin in the 11th round. I remember that. Um, but yeah, Roberto Garcia, quite a padded record, really and truly. And he's, you know, he's old himself. He's 38 years of age. So he's older than Martin, who is at the kind of, you know, the last part of his career. So is this guy, I suppose. But yeah, this guy's losses, um, his, his most recent loss came to Antonio Margarito back in 2010. So no real shame in that one. Um, you know, but since then he hasn't lost. So he hasn't lost now for over eight years. And, to be honest, the guys he's fought in that time, they've been decent. I mean, there's a couple of wins there that, you know, that you know that you kind of recognize the names. Omar Chavez is in there. Breedis Prescott's in there. Um, Jose Flores as well. So, yeah, not too bad, but no one on, you know, on the kind of level of Martin Murray, respectfully. Martin Murray's last few opponents have been a lot better. Aside from the odd, you know, the odd journeyman here and there. Of course, he took on Nuhu Lawal. That was a real risky fight. He took on Gabriel Rosado, George Groves, Arthur Abraham. You know, he's, he's fought the better opposition, Murray. And I'm expecting him to pull off a win here because I know that he's been training for a long, long time. And it's really overdue for him. I'm glad he's going to get... Some kind of money to pay for his two training camps for world title fights that haven't happened. This one is for the WBC silver middleweight title as well. So if Martin Murray wins, there'll be a shot down the line um, at a world title for him. So all the very best to Martin Murray. He certainly deserves it. And the main event here for the WBC... Well, it's not actually the main event, I don't think. I think Murray's the main event. But one fight to mention that we haven't mentioned. Paul Kamanga, 21-1. He puts his WBC international super lightweight title on the line against the very controversial 140 fighter and the new signing with Frank Warren, Mr. O'Hara Davies, 17-1. and one. This will be a 10-round contest. O'Hara Davies has decided to, you know, to dye his hair um, yellow again, or gold, or whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, he never fails to, you know, to let to let the people down, O'Hara Davies. And uh, Paul Kamanga, his one loss was by a decision. It was to a guy called Aslanbek Kozaev. And once again, he doesn't really have the wins or the names on his resume. But one thing that I will mention, he's coming off a win against Christopher Sabaya. Um, that was his last fight. That was back in November of 2017. It was a unanimous decision win over 10 rounds. But Christopher Sabaya was supposed to take on O'Hara Davies a couple weeks back, or about four weeks ago when O'Hara Davies fought. So, yeah, that is one thing there. He was supposed to be taking on Sabaya, and, um, you know, that fight didn't happen. So he's now taken on a guy that beats Sabaya. So no real... You know, no real problems with that. The guy is quite a decent fighter as well. There's a belt on the line, so no problem with that. I hope that O'Hara Davies goes in there, looks good again, and gets the win. Moving over now, though, to the SSE Hydro in Glasgow, Scotland, United Kingdom. What do we have over here? This one's going to be shown on Channel 5, by the way. It's a Cyclone Promotions bill. Top of the bill, really. The only fight to mention, to be honest, on this card. Josh Taylor, 12-0, puts his WBC Silver Super Lightweight title on the line against the former WBC world champion Victor Postel 29 and 1. Victor Postel a really really good fighter. His only loss came to Terence Crawford. Terence Crawford couldn't knock him out. It was by decision and of course Postel um known as the Iceman 
has got so much about him. A lot of people, you know, overlook him. A lot of people in this fight are overlooking him, to be completely honest. And he's a real tough and game guy. Of course, a Ukrainian fighter. Which Ukrainian fighter isn't tough? Um, but yeah, he is the away fighter here. And he is the opponent here. So a brilliant step up for Josh Taylor once again. Again, Victor Postel was supposed to be taking on Regis Progre. And he had to pull out with an injury. He's had a little bit more time to regroup and stuff like that. And he takes on Josh Taylor here. A completely different fighter, dynamically, to um, to, to Regis Progre. But yeah, nonetheless, a very, very hard fight. Um, I'm going to go with Josh Taylor to win on points, though. And the listeners have gone with Josh Taylor to win by knockout. And Ayaz has also gone with Josh Taylor to win... Um, oh, sorry, he's gone to win with Josh Taylor on points. So, yeah, me and I are agreeing Josh Taylor on points. The listeners going with Taylor by knockout. But I tell you what, it's a very, 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 very hard fight, this one. It, it really is. And like I say, I give them so much credit for the matchmaking that they're doing with Josh Taylor. They're not waiting around with him. They're not padding out his record. And they're just going for it as fast as they can. And I believe this is a brilliant fight. It's the right fight as well. And... Um, you know, Victor Postel brings something to the table. He certainly does, even though he's, you know, he's 34 years of age now. He's very experienced. He's still the number two rated guy on box rec at that weight. Only, you know, only second to Regis Progress. So, a good fighter in Postel, to be honest. Not really a big banger. That's probably his one downfall, but he's got many names on his resume. Of course, that win against Matisse really kind of catapulted him into, you know, a brilliant fighter. He was able to knock Matisse out in round 10. When Matisse seemingly didn't want to fight, he seemingly quit. So, um, yeah, a real hard fight for Josh Taylor, a real intriguing contest there. It's a shame it's going to be happening at the same time as the Frank Warren show, so I'm going to have to watch it back. So no one tweet me on Saturday night the result, because I don't want to know it. I want to watch the fight when I get home. Moving over now to the final bill to mention, though. It's happening at the Belasco Theatre in Los Angeles, California, USA. It's going to be shown on ESPN2. One fight to mention over here, really. It's a prospect that we've had on the show before. A prospect out of the Robert Garcia Boxing Academy. Mr. Hector Tanahara, 13-0. and 0. He's in an eight-round contest against Roger Gutierrez, who's 19-1 and 1 with one draw. So that's another step up there for... Hector Tanahara, a bright prospect for the future, absolutely an eight-round contest there. But that really wraps up the previewing. We've brought you the reviewing. We brought you the first guest. We brought you the news, me and Mimi. We brought you the previewing just there. But the last thing to do just before we wrap up part two and ultimately end the show is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF junior middleweight champion of the world, Mr. Carlos Molina. Carlos, welcome back on the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, Joey. Uh, it's always my pleasure, Carlos. It truly is. So obviously, Carlos, last time out, the fight didn't go your way against Josh Kelly. Um, you know, I was I was there in Cardiff for that fight. I was sat ringside for it. Can you just tell us really uh, what, what you felt went wrong in that ring? I didn't do my fight. I didn't make my fight. Where I needed to, and I didn't adjust when 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 I needed to, and I felt like I felt like I was adjusting. I was adjusting, but it was too late. And um, you know, I hit him with two shots in like the eighth and ninth round, and then I felt like he was too smart and fast to uh, to just get out of the way and and just avoid uh, you know getting hit. 
And did anything surprise you about him at all, Carlos? Obviously, you know, you you d- didn't really know about the guy before. He fought the fight with that hands-down style. Did he surprise you in any way? You've been in there with some of the best fighters in the world, of course. No, he didn't because we, before before the fight, I already knew he was, uh, you know, on his feet. I knew he was fast. So mentally, we came in there knowing that he was fast and he moves good and he has got reflexes. So that's, that's what we expected, and that's what he brought to the to the fight. And a lot of boxers, of course, dream of fighting in the UK. You ticked that box on March 31st. Um, you did it on, on the biggest stage possible as well. How was that for you, and just the whole part of visiting the UK? What did you make of the whole experience in itself? You know, going to the UK, was it was a great experience. I... Uh, I was looking forward to that. I always wanted to get out there. Ever since I got to Mexico here, and even before that, I always wanted to fight in the UK. And, uh, you know, on March 31st, it was possible, and, and it was a great opportunity for me, like you said, uh, to come back, you know, to get back on top. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, uh, you know, just being out there and uh, meeting different fans, fans out there, and, uh, you know, meeting you actually in person, you know, it was cool. And uh, everything was everything was good. The only thing, the bad part about it was the fight. You know, the decision that kind of uh, put a damper on everything. Yeah, it was a real shame. Like I say, um, it was it was fantastic meeting you also, and it was it was such a shame the following night. Of course, when the result didn't go your way, it was hard to watch at points of that. I was sitting there, and everybody was looking at me saying, "What's wrong with you? Why don't you want the English guy to win?" And I was saying, "You don't understand, man." <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, getting off that fight now, moving on to the positive stuff. I want to ask you: When you went back to Mexico, how long did you take out before you'd return training to the in the gym? See, the thing is, I don't take time off the gym, really. I don't take too much too much time off the gym. So I try to get back as soon as possible. And as long as you're not hurt, injured, or anything like that, then you could go get back there sooner. And from this fight, I didn't, you know, I didn't take, I didn't take uh, too much punishment or anything at all, really. And um, I got back there. I started running within a week, and then a week and a half, I was back in the gym. And that's that's why I like to keep it, so I won't lose my uh, my conditioning. I don't want to start over every time I'm not, I don't take like a month off or anything like that so I got back in there person okay good good and obviously when you were uh, sorry sorry to cut you off go on Carlos carry on no yeah no because I got some fighters there that, that were uh, getting ready for other fights and I just got back in the gym and started helping the spar right away uh, okay Brilliant, man, brilliant. And obviously that phone call came for you to fight in France, which is happening this weekend. At what point did that phone call come through, and how much notice have you had for this one, Carlos? At the time when they told me, it was like three, like four weeks. Say four weeks notice. But like I said before, I was already training, running in the mountains, doing my, you know, conditioning, doing everything right, eating good, feeling good. And then this fight's at 154 pounds. Uh, which makes it easier for me to make this weight because my last fight against Josh Kelly was at 147 as a welterweight. So for me to fight a super welterweight with uh, you know four weeks notice, it, it worked out good for me. It worked out good because I'm already at that weight. And of course, the man in the other corner goes by the name of Solomon Sissoko. 
that fight, of course, will be happening in Paris in just a couple of days from now. Sissoko is another prospect, very much like Josh Kelly in the fact that uh, Josh Kelly was 5-0 and with four knockouts when he fought you. This guy is 6-0 and with five knockouts. A very inexperienced professional compared to yourself. However, of course, this guy was a very, very good amateur. He won a bronze medal in 2016 in the Olympics. He also actually beat Josh Kelly in the amateurs too. Is there anything else that you know about this guy at all? Have you been able to get much footage of him? I know that you had that problem with Josh Kelly where nothing was on YouTube pretty much. Yeah, no, this is different because Josh Kelly only had the highlights. So for this one, they they have his fights actually on YouTube. So you can actually go there and watch it from, you know, from the first round to the end of the fight. So that gives you a better look at him. And he's a he's a good fighter. He's a, he's a smart fighter. He's very, you know, technical fighter, smart. You know, he keeps composing there. Pretty much like a, I guess, I guess you can't compare to Josh Kelly, but I mean, they, like he said, they got another, they got the same amount of, about the same amount of fights. And, uh, you know, I know he's, uh, coming, they're coming in, uh, prepared to win this fight. And, uh, that's what, uh, gives me the, the plan to, uh, come together. And obviously, in recent times, Carlos, people would say you're not really the same fighter you once was. I think that some promoters out there are probably looking at you as a little bit of a gatekeeper now. Does that offend you, being viewed as a gatekeeper at this point? No, no, it doesn't, not at all. I mean, I lost three fights in a row, and that's, I'm, in, I'm in a tough spot right now, and i got to dig myself out of this spot. And, uh, you know, you got to do it with the next fights on the table. You know, everything else that happened before... It happened already, and I know that's what's good. That's what I love about boxing is one fight away from um, you know getting back on top. And this is my uh, my opportunity again. That's why I stood in the gym. I been working on what I needed to work on, and uh, I'm ready to you know fight like I used to fight, if not better. Obviously, when you won the world title, it was against Ishe Smith. Coincidentally, you and his records are almost the same right now. He's certainly viewed as a gatekeeper. He's never been stopped in 10, in ten losses. You've never been stopped in nine. Are these fights becoming must-win fights for you now at this stage? And I don't want to bring up the thought of losing, but if you were to lose here, you know, would you, would you be happy with that, with that tag as an official gatekeeper, a guy that really, you know, prospects want to fight just to try to be the first guy to stop, you know, to stop you? Yeah. I guess I'm not, like, I, I guess I won't ever accept it like that. I mean, I don't take it personal if somebody, if they were to call me the gatekeeper. But as far as me thinking my, of myself as a gatekeeper, then, then no, I still got hopes. I still got hopes of getting back on top. And I know that one fight, it could change it all. But at the same time, by calling me a gatekeeper, it gives me more opportunities, and I'm, I'm all for it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, very well answered that question there, actually. There's a heavyweight right now in the UK, Carlos, who just turned pro, I think it was in October of last year. He was an Olympic, well, he is an Olympic silver medalist from 2016. He lost very controversially to Tony Yoka in the Olympic finals. But he's 32 years of age, a guy called Joe Joyce. He doesn't really have much time for learning fights or fights against journeymen. So he really wants to try and fight the big fights straight away. But the problem with that is most of the heavyweights he wants to fight they're all on the verge of a world title shot themselves so they don't really want to 
you know, face the possibility of losing to a guy that's only had four, five, or six fights. It's very much a high-risk, low-reward kind of fight. But you, however, have shown back-to-back now that you are prepared to fight guys who have only just had a few fights as a pro, and I'm guessing for not that much money. And obviously, losing to guys like that is quite damaging, I suppose, um, in the grand scheme of things, you know, to those people that don't quite know the amateur game. When they look at your resume and see a loss from a guy who's only had five, six fights, it seems quite damaging. So my question is, are you a little bit crazy wanting to fight these guys for high risk, low reward, or should the other people in other weight divisions do the same as you also? I don't know. I guess I'm in a different, I'm in a different spot, I guess, right now, because I know I've always taken the toughest fights ever since my the beginning of my career. That's true. And uh, I feel like I've always been in the same situation, but I know that by one winning this one fight changed everything. So that's, that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me taking these fights. Like, I know they're tough. I know this uh, Suleiman is going to be a tough fight, but I know that winning this fight is going to get me back on top. And like you said, I mean, taking this fight for, for not as much money as I, as I should be getting or I could be getting, but I know I'll win this fight. The next one, you know, there it is, you know, because I've done it before, and that's how I became world champion. And um, that's just the way I come, I guess. Just, I'll fight anybody. And I believe you 100%. My fingers are firmly crossed for you, Carlos. And I just want to ask you one or two more questions now before I let you go. I know that you're in the airport in Mexico waiting to board a flight to France. Did you get a yep. chance to see Terence Crawford's win against Jeff Horn? If not, that's fine. My question really is, who do you believe is the ruler right now at 147? Who's the best? Is it Errol Spence? Is it Keith Furman? Or is it Terence Crawford, who, of course, has only just moved up? I I didn't I did see the fight because it was a uh, just on highlights so I didn't see the the actual fight but I saw the highlights and uh, I actually think that uh, the best at 147 right now has to be Crawford. I mean Thurman's coming off an injury surgery and you don't know how he's gonna come back so that's that's uh, you know that's up to we got to see that first see how he comes back. Spence I like Spence too he's aggressive he works the body he fights different for a softball and I like that. I like how he fights. He, he attacks uh, different than softball. He, I guess working the body is one of the difference. But I, I think uh, I like what Crawford, I like how he adjusts in the fight. At any round, he could just adjust. And I feel like that's going to make it hard for anybody to, to beat him at 147. Yeah, I totally agree. And also the fact that he can just switch stances so simply, it's, it's, it's a brilliant thing. I think. But I think he's a better softball, though. Who's a better southpaw? Uh, I mean, no, Crawford. He say he can switch styles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, stance. But I think he fights better as a southpaw and a right-hander. Ah, right. No, that's an interesting, uh, interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. You, you could be right, to be honest. You really could be right. And finally, Carlos, I just really wanted to give you a chance. Uh, you know, just to say anything that I may not have asked you that you want to get off your chest. Is there anything at all you want to say before we let you go? Yeah, I guess. I mean, the only thing I can say right now is that uh, I know I'm coming off three losses. And uh, I was coming off three losses one time in my career before. And then after that, I adjusted. I got my mind right. I got like on a 15-fight win streak. And I became a world champion. And that's what I want to do again. And I know that I could do it. And uh, it starts uh, this Saturday in this fight. 
Absolutely. God willing, my friend. But Carlos, listen, it's always a pleasure chatting with you, not just for the podcast, but every time we speak, it's brilliant. I really wish you the best of luck for Saturday, and we will definitely speak again after for sure. All right. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for having me on. Okay, and this wraps up episode 140 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Mimi Melendez has been my fantastic co-host this week. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show, Carlos Molina and Billy Dibb, two former world champions in their own right from two very different continents. The biggest thank you of all goes out to you, the listeners that tune in each and every week. The Prediction League currently sits at myself on 45 points, Ayaz on 48 points, and you, the listeners, in the lead on 50 halfway to the finish line which is 100 but that's all from me and Mimi enjoy your weekends people and we shall catch you all again next week